Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Welcome back to Detroit is Different. I'm actually rocking the Detroit is Different gear today we do have detroit is different gear and all that stuff like most people that do this stuff i'm not always pushing it on you and everything because you know the culture you know the blend you need to pull up to some detroit is different events see me out and about and then we connect that way because it's all about connecting with people when it comes to connecting with people i have a guest that really now that i think about it she's extremely engaged with people like i mean ever since i met her originally and she probably don't remember because meeting all these people and it's like oh we can do this we can do that we can do this we can do that like moving like i don't know the whole world of detroit all the time sherry gay dan yoga look at you you did it exactly you did it you just don't be scared of it because people, it's like, your your name is butchered all the time. And I was like, we got to get this right. But you had then it. Yoga. You had it. There you go. Perfect. Because it's like, I know it's like always, ah, ah, ah. but not any further to do. How are you today? I'm wonderful. And I'm thankful uh, that you thought enough uh, of me to invite me on. It's it's a good day. Thank you. It's, this should have happened like a lot of people. Like <laughs> I tell them, it's like, I should have been had you on. I should have been had you on. And, and it just... It happens when it's supposed to happen. That's what it is. All right. That's so, what it is. So with that, I definitely am interested in this because you you also said, oh, I was around this way at one point in time. So we always start the Detroit is difference like this. What brought your people here? How did how many generations deep is your fam to the soil here? Wow. So um West Sider. Uh, forever, but my mom is from Wrightsville, Georgia. Time out, time out, time out. We about to do one of those. Where's Wrightsville, Georgia? <laughs> <laughs> it's a couple of hours outside of Atlanta, closest to Dublin. Okay. Uh, but yeah, one of those names that you don't hear often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she also lived in Jacksonville, Florida for a lot of, okay. uh, of her life. And, um, she's an only child. Hmm. And her mom um, passed at an early age. Hmm. But my mother came to live in Detroit with uh, my uncles, um, who actually moved to Highland Park. My grandmother actually uh, encouraged them to buy a home. You know, the South migrated to the North to work in the auto industry. So I come from a long family um, of UAW auto workers Mm -hmm. who uh, moved from Georgia and Florida to come to the North for these great jobs working uh, in Ford Motor Company. And so um, my uncle lived here first, and then my mother followed, and she came here, and she first worked down at the Hudson's downtown Mm. in Detroit. Okay. Uh, And then ultimately she also worked at Ford Motor Company. So uh, that was in the early 60s, early 60s. That was back when we called it Fords. Yes. Because like, okay, so if you don't know and you're not from Detroit, for my people outside Detroit, for the longest time, Ford Motor Company was like known as the Fords because it was like you work for the Ford the family. Fords, and that's yes. part of the yep. branding yep. and the mm-hmm. and the ingratiation yep. of it all. Like, right. so it's like, oh, you wear Fords. That's it. That was the mm-hmm. end. That's yes. it. Fords with an S. <laughs> yes. So it'd be like, you know, you get out of town like, what are you talking about? 
Fords. <laughs> yeah, yep, Fords. That's that was it. So yeah, and um, we lived on Burlingame, which is not too far from here. Burlingame oh, and Dexter. Oh man. And then we later mm. moved to uh, Clement. Mm. Uh, and so I uh, went to Winter Halter School, went to Parker Elementary, mm. then went to, went then went to Winter Halter. And so from around this way, Mama's Palace Restaurant yeah. used to have the best peach cobbler okay. in southeastern Michigan. Okay, I'm you pretty too sure. young for that. You too young for that. I'm pretty sure it's a lot of uh, people uh, that are like uh, throwing uh, throwing a water bottle at their computer screen or something, saying, "No, they didn't." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, back in the day, they had some real heavy hitters. That mm-hmm. used to go up to Mama's Palace from all over, not the city or the state, the country. A lot of mm. folks would come in right over here to Mama's Palace in the hood and enjoy that good uh, soul food. All right. And, and, and with that, even HP. I look at HP because it's a bridge. Or, like, you know, it's literally across. So Highland Park and Hamtramck are cities within the city of yes. Detroit limits. Yes. For people outside, and Highland Park is one of them. And Highland Park is the one that's I know it's it's a chocolate city if it ever was a chocolate oh, city. Absolutely, so black folks, um, and, and even the way that it's set up. So I look at Highland Park because it's so close to me as like an extension of this neighborhood in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Um. So you were always kind of in this mix as a child. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of go back to like asking some of those earlier questions too. So. Your uncle made his way, and you mentioned Jacksonville, uh-huh. Duval County. Shout out uh-huh. Duvals uh-huh. and all of that. Um, and Georgia, those are usual traditional routes because uh-huh. so many black folks come with the train lines from Georgia and Alabama to the city of Detroit. Uh-huh. Um your uncle, was he in Georgia or was he in Florida? Where, whereabouts? Our family was all from uh, from Georgia. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he was the first one and he was like, okay, now nah, let me get the rest of the family up this yeah, way. Yeah. Well, actually, I had three uncles. Well, actually four. Hmm. Uh, but they all migrated north. You know, mm-hmm. that was the thing back then to, you know, come to the north um, for jobs. Um, unfortunately, they are all deceased now. He hmm. actually lived on Leslie in Highland hmm. Park. Uh, that was the home that my grandmother, you know, helped them to purchase uh, before my mother moved here. Uh, but, yeah, I had uh, my Uncle Rogers, Lee London. So any of those that know the London family in Highland Park, it was a pretty big family. Uh, my Uncle Johnny uh, that lived over on American. Mm. Uh, and so it was, a few, it, was a, it was a few family members that came up. And so my mother ultimately came up and uh, kind of got entrenched here. So being the only child... She, her first cousins became more like her siblings, but they were more like her siblings in the South. All the stories that I used to hear about how spoiled she was mm-hmm. and how growing up, how bossy she was. and mm-hmm. But it came from her being an only child mm-hmm. and, you know, be living with her grandmother at that point, which was a midwife, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my, my mother kind of grew up with her cousins that became more like siblings. And, and with that, um, you said your uncle said, I'm going to send for your mother uh, to get her here. And I'm just thinking about, was your uncle married at the time? I know yes. that it was very commonplace for that to take place, but taking on a, a, a young woman at the time, that's like, you know, you just usually not used to hearing the the that men do that. But I guess yeah. it's one of those things, if your mama tell you. If your mother, right. And so her mother... Um, planned for her to move here. And it's amazing, her story. I mean, she was 16, mm-hmm. 16 uh, when she first married uh, mm. and had her first child, I believe, 16 to 17. And so her husband at the time was 
in on the East Coast out on the shipping in the shipping industry. And so ultimately, uh, she was alone mm-hmm. in the South with, you know, three children. Uh, and so ultimately her mom sent for her, I mean, had, had arranged for her to move to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And yes, my uncle was married to my, my aunt, Annie London. Okay. So they used to babysit me, so... Oh, yeah. okay. So it goes back. They oh, be, yeah. They be oh, looking yeah. at you like, your mama do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I spent plenty of time over on Leslie in Highland Park mm-hmm. um, growing up uh, before I was even at school age. Mm-hmm. Um, living over in Highland Park, just looking out the window, watching the church bell ring, mm-hmm. you know, every day at 12 o'clock. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, those were the good old days. Okay. And, and your mom, uh, you said you mentioned Hudson's mm-hmm. and then into Ford. What was what was her personality like? Uh, how did she make the adjustments? Did she ever, uh, this is the number one thing, because she was she was old enough to say, it's too cold in Detroit. I'm going back to Georgia. Like, what what was her, you know? So, so my mom, thankfully, my mom is still alive. And so I talk to her every day. Mm-hmm. FaceTime her several times a day and even right before coming to this show. Um, But, you know, just my mom is tall, um, back then, thin, looked like a model. Okay. Uh, So coming to to the North, uh, that was kind of an American dream of people in the South. A lot of Mm. them in the South had these great stories that they heard about migrating to the North. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of the thing. Okay. uh, And most people welcomed it. I never heard a story of of her lack of a desire to be here. Okay. Um, a lot of our family was here. So it was just a natural transition. Uh, but she, my grandmother had in mind, because it was a two-family house in Highland Park. Mm-hmm. So my grandmother had in mind for her just to, to live with my uncle. My mother being independent, you know, one of the things she said when she first got here from Highland Park even to downtown Detroit, she looked just looked straight downtown. And she's like, oh, I can get down there easily, not realizing how far it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Looking down where you can be fooled at just how far the buildings are. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it probably was similar to... To how I felt um, when I moved to New York. So a lot of mm. people don't know I spent five and a half years in New York. It's like when you move to another city that you've watched and heard uh, things about, you're like, your energy is high. You feel mm-hmm. invincible. You could do anything. You're here to conquer the city. You're here to, to explore everything that you've ever heard, read, or seen, you know, about this great city. So Detroit was just like, you know, the thing that was happening uh, if you lived in Wrightsville, okay. Georgia. Okay. And I'll let you in on a little secret. We What's have a, a family member that's on the other political party side uh-huh. that's from Wrightsville. If your listeners or your viewers figure it out, they'll know why like, I'm not saying it's his like, name. Hey, I, I don't support his politics, <laughs> but he can make some real. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We've been arguing ever since mm-hmm. we were kids. A very long time. <laughs> he wouldn't yeah. even play red light, green light correctly. I'm no. <laughs> I know him, he family. <laughs> but uh, that's real, that's real. Uh, and with it, they'd probably be like Detroit and all that stuff because that's usually the number one thing a lot of people say. Like, I, I often, uh, when people say, oh, I've never been to Detroit, um, I want to come visit or stay, it's like, you have to adjust to the winter. I love it. The culture here, you can't connect. But it, it can be a cold city at times. It can be. You know, um, yeah. it's a lot of gray skies, you know, mm-hmm. almost like Seattle. But it's so much so many cool people here. That's what makes Detroit different, right? 
Um, so in that same journey, you mentioned New York, and, and now let's get more so in your path. You mentioned Winterhalter High School. Where'd you go? Well, I have a unique story. So I went to Oak Park High School, mm-hmm. uh, and I also went to Retford High School. You went to Red. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, and I actually went to the prom at Redford, mm. and I walked across the stage at Oak Park. Okay. So back back in in the time where I think I think when I left Winterhalter, we moved to Oak Park, and so we were there for a while, and ultimately okay. we moved back to the city. But mm. I had already started school, and you know, I had a lot of friends at Oak Park, and when it was time to you know ch- transition to schools. I asked my mom, could I just take the bus and continue going to where my friends were at Oak Park? Okay, let me try to guess this bus route because I'm familiar with West Side Buses. Where were you guys at around the time? Around that time, we were in 96 and Schoolcraft. So we mm. moved further west. 96, Schoolcraft. I'm thinking, depending upon where you got to get in Oak Park, you definitely going to have to make your way around the Southfield. So I'm thinking that the connection would be, let's see, do I know my D-dot? I'm thinking the connection would be Schoolcraft. Uh-huh, you got one. To Southfield? Nope. Oh, man. Well, I could have. Okay. I could have. Okay. I could have gone that route. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I took Schoolcraft. To Schaefer. You remember the little mm. hamburger spot right on the corner, smell like onions? Yes. Every yes. day I would go to school, smell like onions. Hey, well, you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't, you don't have control over the bus stop location. Smelling just like onions. A little small hamburger spot right on the uh, corner. Okay. And then that way up. So, and then all of and then school crap, I mean, then Schaefer took, you know, which turns into Coolidge at yes. Nine Mile. All the way up. That All the way was up. like a straight shot. That was a straight okay. shot. That makes sense. Now, if I wanted to go to the mall back oh, then, man. Northland, mm-hmm. then I could take, you know, Southfield or Greenfield. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Okay. And and with that, because this is the other layer, though, you must have had some real tight relationships with your friendship because, like I say, taking a bus in the when it when it's cool, even a day like this, this is cool, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But taking a bus when that when that hawk comes down, that's when it's like so um, so with it, I'm guessing like your your friendships in high school then were like tight. You must have been thick as thieves with your people. Well, so I mean, yes, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, one of my friends actually I, I would stay with from time to time. Okay, you know, her parents were like, okay, that's a long bus ride, so you mm-hmm. know, you can stay over here during the week, and then you know, go home on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know, too. So I mean, that was very nice, um, and you know, that was my best friend. Um, at the time, her name was Audra. Her name is Audra. Um, but, yeah, so I think it was just a matter of I was in a school. I was very established. The thought of going somewhere else, fresh. you know, mm-hmm. you know, it, you just you just have relationships. It wasn't like they were so many of, like, oh, my best, best, besties. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I've always kind of been, like, independent anyway. Okay. Uh, but I had good relationships with a lot of people. Okay. And and then to Red. So you did make the transition mm-hmm. to the neighborhood school at the time. Ultimately, we, I did end up, you know, the principal called me in. He was like, listen, you know, that's you, I was going to school out of district. Mm-hmm. So he's like, listen, we realize you don't live in the city anymore. You're going, you're still coming to school here. And we're going to ultimately have to, you know, either... At that time, I don't even think you could pay to, to stay in district. So you're going to have to switch schools, you know, unless mm-hmm. your residence change. And I was like, okay, but 
um, what about my graduating? And he was like, this is Mr. Peter, Peterman. And he was like, if you have any problems graduating at an out-of-district school, you can always come back here as long as your credits, you know, accumulate as such. And it reaches the necessary requirements for graduation here. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. Okay. All right. And um, and, and refer now one of the schools, tragically, that is no longer existing. Right. When I think about Refert, it has like its own like culture. Like I, I was recently interviewing someone from Cooley, and I was like, I, when I think of Refert, I immediately think of Cooley, and I think of the basketball games. I think of the the like it almost was like a whole nother world. So for people that are maybe more familiar with Brightmore, so Refert was there, but because you also had like Rosedale Park. You had grandma, like mm-hmm. it was a mix. It was such a yeah, a, a, a yeah. It was a mix, definitely socioeconomic mix, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a mix because you're right. It's right in the center of, uh, I would say, uh, Brightmore West mm-hmm. of of where. If, if for those who don't remember the where the Myers and Six Mile is mm-hmm. or the Eighth Precinct is, uh, so Brightmore being somewhat west of there. Um, Rosedale being, you know, northeast, North Rosedale's, Minock Park over there, Grandma. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was a mixture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you like it there? What did did you see the differences? Uh, yeah, from the park or yeah, what was it yeah. Like? So it was a much bigger school. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get a chance to see more African American teachers. Uh, one of the choir directors from my church actually uh, taught there for a while, Teresa mm-hmm. Ellis. Uh, so went to Greater Grace, you know, very young, and and Teresa was at Redford. Uh, one of the Moss uh, brothers, like Jay Moss, Bill mm-hmm. Moss, okay. uh, one of their sisters also taught math there. So it was more oh. black, more African American teachers, black teachers. I was there. The thing that helped me, and this is why I always say kids need something that helped them stand out. I sing. And so I was automatically in the choir. I was in the glee club at Winterhalter. Hmm. I was in the choir, you know, at um, at Refford. And hmm. so having music, it's like a culture within a culture. True. You know, so like the sports team is the sports team. The choir and the music club, you know, it's a hmm. whole other. So you automatically have a, a family within a family. Hmm. Um, and so it made Repford not feel so big. Hmm. Um, one of my teachers is still out in the community Hmm. Uh, Mr. Gregory Dunmore. I don't know. Uh, his show, Pulse Beat. You ever see Dr. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So he was my, my English teacher. He was like, he must have been like, like 12 teachers. Right. (laughs) Don't, cause he looks good. He looks good. He looks good. I'm like, how did I get to be your age? I know. He was walking through the hallway. They was like, hey, where your pet? Oh, right. Exactly. And I think he came in, I think he came in initially as a sub. Mm hmm. Um, and then ultimately became a permanent teacher there. So, cool. but it was it was different. Okay, uh, and, and Oak Park itself, like that culture, uh, being uh, such a strong Jewish influence, absolutely, and, and Chaldean, Jewish. and Chaldean. Yes. Mm-hmm. What what was what was that like? Especially like when you when you all moved there, how did you feel from even just like this neighborhood? What was that like? 
So it was like, oh, wow, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the different cultures, uh, the food, you know, the bagels, the locks, mm-hmm. um, the various holidays mm-hmm. uh, that existed. Uh, but we were an absolute melting pot um, in Oak Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, the school was smaller. So black, white, Chaldean, Jewish, mm-hmm. we all just kind of kind of meshed together. It was its own, it was its own culture. And mm-hmm. I would I would I would venture to say us uh, especially a lot of the cool kids, a mm-hmm. lot of them lean more towards adapting to an African American culture. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I would say, you know, Jewish households, children conducted themselves how they conducted themselves with their parents Mm -hmm. and the same thing for the Chaldean community but when we were all together we were all like one okay so then when they got to school it was like hey (laughs) (laughs) exactly and still to this day Mm -hmm. so the good thing is about coming from two different schools school districts um high schools I'm first of all I'm glad that they both have red, you know, as a part of their colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Redford kind of red, white, and and uh, Oak Park red, white, little gray. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still have uh, a number of friends, uh, or associates, or classmates okay. that I'm still connected to. So I go to the Redford picnic and be like, Hey, what's up? And then I go to the Redford picnic. I mean, the uh, Oak, Oak Park, Park picnic. You know, same thing. So it's like, you know, I'll show up to the reunions for okay. both. Um, more people, I think, from Oak Park knew me as a child, you know, mm-hmm. while I went to the school there. More people from Redford, um, the close-knit choir people and people that may have gone to my church knew me back then. But most of them uh, became affiliated with me. They owned me from being in a public space. Hmm. So it's like, oh, she go to our school. She's from Redford. Oh, she's our alumni. Okay. You know, so, so it's just like, yeah, Redford has some 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 strong alumni too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are amongst a lot of people that have wielded politics, community yeah. across the world. Yeah. Uh, in that same zone, singing. So I, I never knew the vocalist part till now, which leads me to be if that was a passion, uh, was that what where was your head at? Were you like, okay, I want to be Anita Baker, or were you like, mm, I kind of like doing this? What what was your take on that? Well, I mean, I grew up in church, mm-hmm. and so growing up in church, I come from you know a background of secular music mm-hmm. was wrong. Okay. Uh, oh, even like even through like high school. So you well, were... and high school was high school was high school. So you okay. don't you know that music is not judged. Mm-hmm. But like so, when I moved to New York, it was like, you know, I sang at the Apollo. It was like you know, I oh. knew I was breaking a rule. Okay. <laughs> okay. Breaking a rule. Okay. So you know, and then you know, when I got opportunities where people was like, well, you know, we want to bring you in the studio, and I was like. Hmm, I don't know if I could do that. You know, mm-hmm. like I'll do it, but I don't know if I should, or I'm not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, so, but, but even with um, uh, faith-based music or gospel music, your thought Different. process wasn't like, okay, I wanna, I wanna get my CC wine on. Like you weren't, you know. No, I mean, I love singing, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, it's they say it's never too late, but 
I sang a lot in the choir. Mm -hmm. I um, thought about, you know, recording, but never really just fully said, this is what I'm going to do. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because with that talent, you just always usually connect. So yeah. after high school, what, what were you thinking? What were you thinking, like, okay, this is what I'm My best do. friend, Audra, I didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, my best friend, Audra, was going to a school up in the UP called SUMI. And mm -hmm. she had a recruiter. It's now called Finlandia University. Mm -hmm. uh, but she had a recruiter that, you know, back then came to the house, recruited her. And she wanted to be a math uh, teacher, I believe, or math uh, engineer. I forget exactly what it was, but it, it dealt with math. Audra mm -hmm. was always good at math. And um, I didn't quite know what I wanted. I'm a first-generation high school and college graduate. Mm -hmm. And so when she said she was going in, both of her parents work at General Motors and, you know, very beautiful home, affluent family. I'm like, well, okay, I got to figure out something. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, originally it was pre-med mm. when I went to, um, to uh, Finlandia University or to SUMI. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was just taking the liberal arts and prerequisites for that. Um, but ultimately I realized that, you know, having the impact of, my former choir director hmm. and one of my teachers, um, Teresa Ellis, I decided I'm going to be a math teacher. Wow. That's deep. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want you to expand a little bit on being that age and not, I guess, quote unquote, having it figured out or figuring it out. Because mm -hmm. I, I personally think that it's sometimes healthy to be in a space where you can Figure some things out, obviously be safe about it. Don't do anything, you know, right. out, of, out of ordinary. You know what I'm saying? Right. But how did that feel and how, how do you think that that time to explore yeah. was so, for you? So so for me, and, and every child is different. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, I am a licensed science teacher, so that, mm -hmm. that's a whole other story. I started out math, but I ended up becoming a science teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, so every child is different. Um, and I believe, that's why I believe, first of all, it's important for us to expose our children to different things, different cities, different foods, um, different socioeconomic status, uh, different cultures, uh, different professions. Mm -hmm. Because children and even adults can only... Um, become what they envision and what they see. That's why vision boards really are good, you know, mm -hmm. for people to say, I envision one day I'm going to do this. And you mm -hmm. actually go through the step in the process of putting these things on the board to visualize this is what I'll become. Like the first time you've ever gone to a house that was like six times your house, you know, mm -hmm. you get to thinking like, oh, one day I'm going to own a house like this. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one day I'm going to build me a house from the ground. Uh, or you go to somebody's house and they have five bathrooms. Like, wow. You know, one mm -hmm. day I'm going to have a house with five bathrooms. So you, 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 you get a chance to see and take in these different things that you never knew existed. And so for me, the thing that got me to a place of always being celebrated was the fact that I sang. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote um, for the church newsletter. Uh, and I was always very vocal. Uh, and so having a platform of singing with my mother, like even the quartet groups from when I was like five years old, I think that's the thing that allowed me to be celebrated. Kids need something that makes them a point of attention for celebrating, whether it's they're good in sports, they're good as a, a you know, track star, they're good, you know, 
things, do things with artists with their hands, whatever it is. They got something that you've explored that whatever their innate talent is that they're good in and they can be celebrated, it helps to build that self-confidence. So I, although I didn't know exactly what I wanted to become as an adult, mm-hmm. I always had self-confidence mm. uh, f- because I've always sang from five on up. You know, I sang in with adults on, in the quartet groups. Mm-hmm. So so back then it was just like, oh, Sherry's going to sing, you know, a lead song. So like Sherry is like the grown people say Sherry can sing. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> five That's years good. old, I grew up, you know, I can sing. Uh, so, uh, so that that leads me to... Um, at what age, and I mean, you said five, but mm-hmm. at what age do you think as a parent or a mentor or uh, someone like a stakeholder in the life of that child, what age do you encourage? You know, at what age do you just say, all right, you know, come on, let's not play with Legos all day. Let's do something where it, but you Legos can are edify. Fine. But where le- you can edify the Legos kids, are you know? fine because okay. Legos are building. But, okay. but, but there's a study that says for a child... To ultimately be successful. And this is not just a child. But Mm -hmm. if you have five key people in your life that may serve as a mentor, it may be the old neighbor on your block that tell Mm -hmm. you, you you handle that basketball pretty well. Or it may be somebody that saw you on Easter that gave the Easter poem that said, you spoke really well. It might Mm -hmm. be the Sunday school teacher. You know, it might be, you know, somebody in your school it could be a family member, but having these people that serve as like I, I used I was I had a fellowship in two thousand eight in the Bay, mm-hmm. Oakland and San Francisco, and I worked on a project called Who's Your Five, and the whole gist behind that was like you know the Boys and Girls Club or any mm-hmm. mentoring program. If you give a child a solid mentor, and all of them don't have to be professionals. You know, it could just be people that care about you, that tell you how to balance a checkbook or how to save your money or how to cook or whatever it is. But you've got somebody that's positively sewing into your life. So I believe that should start at five. It could be your coach. Hmm. My son uh, is turning 30 in May this year. Um, but his coach, Coach Otis Bellinger, I don't know if you know Otis Bellinger. He works hmm. with young boys and men. Uh, and still to this day, but at Flicks, he was my mm. son's coach. Okay. And so having that coach, you know, I was in the attic cleaning up some stuff the other day, and I I sent him a couple of pictures of his trophy. I only got one child, so I mm. save a lot of stuff. Okay. So I I sent him this picture of these uh, of these trophies, and one said MVP. Now surely he wasn't an MVP mm. uh, in the fifth grade at Flicks, but the point that he had an activity. That told him he was a most valuable player. Hmm. That's the key to to supporting our children towards excellence is having something that they can receive positive uh, feedback and hmm. support um, to build their confidence. Because it doesn't matter where the confidence comes from. Ultimately, it's going to be used in their toolkit through life. So it may start out, my son played T-ball. He quit T-ball and he wanted to play soccer. You know, we laugh about that to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like, I don't want to play this no more, right in the middle <laughs> of the field. Like, you going to play T-ball because I, I bought mean, all this stuff. Yeah, no? that's, that, but that's, but that's the thing is, like, if, if children have something, whether it's dance, uh-huh. you know, sports, art, what chess, whatever mm-hmm. it is, something that can celebrate them over time, it it it. You know, it builds into that support, that belief, that strength 
that's needed throughout life, whatever it is. That's that's unique, and uh, that that does uh, make me think of of a lot of what you speak to to like just those platforms to edify. Like we have something coming up on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we started this business breakfast club just to get some insights uh-huh. and uh black leaders Detroit were partnering and I was like, Yeah, we want to get some group memberships for the for the people part of this breakfast club. And like I told people, you know, even me included, um, well, sometimes maybe not me or you, because especially you, but it's a lot of adults that like, you know, live and don't even have like any awards or anything right. to put on a right. like resume right. Right. or like whatever. Right. So sometimes like that certificate can mean a mean lot. something. So for you organizational leaders and business leaders and stuff, sometimes give like a, a, a certificate. You'd be surprised. Yeah, it the, means the, something. The time anything that... to recognize. Yes. Recognizing people means yeah. a lot, you yeah. know? And especially sometimes they don't they don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're very appreciative of being recognized. Mm-hmm. You know, for being a support. Yeah, in in the way that, like, you know, you'll walk in somebody's house and, like, something that I created will be on somebody's mantle. Like, damn, I didn't even think that that was it mattered. <laughs> that impactful. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it exists like that, where yeah. then the people that always get stuff like that, it's like, you know, I mean, a guy like Barack Obama or Michelle Obama probably get so many, yeah. you know, state of the city, like, awards and yeah. gifts. They, yeah. they probably just got, like, a whole... Room just no, they have more than that. Now they have to have a library, a library, yeah, a library. (laughs) No, and that's why a lot of the presidents get Mm. you know some type of a library or uh, Mm. institution to kind of display a number of the awards and bodies of work that many of them have done. uh, Mm. Because it's a lot, you 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 accumulate a lot of stuff. Yeah, and 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 it has impacts that that lend for forever. Like my my grandfather from this home, um, my. My aunt had a lot of his paperwork from uh, being a World War II veteran, uh. um, and that led to my cousin mm-hmm. um, having it. And my cousin was like, I think you're probably going to appreciate this more than I would. And I open it up, and I'm just looking at this paper, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm sure, like, in 19, you know, 42, he's not thinking, n- nobody's thinking that in, like, 2018. right. Somebody's gonna be opening this up, reading it like right. this is this is unique. Right. It's just interesting. Now I'm googling like, okay, what type of soldier? What were his? Uh, you know, just all of the details of John William Brown now, like because I can connect through the paperwork. Yes, you know, yes. and it means something. So I do That's think, awesome. yeah, those MVPs and all Legacy. that stuff. Yeah. You know, when when you had a grand the grandchildren, right? <laughs> they're gonna come through and they're gonna be looking at you know what I'm saying. Yo, mm-hmm. they gonna be like, Grandma, Dad did this, and he's gonna forget. Yeah. But yeah. those momentos mean something. Yeah. And, and and in that you say Upper Peninsula. That's that's a whole like we you talk about a whole other universes. Yeah. Upper Peninsula almost feels like in certain ways, like w- w- where are we? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What, you can you can drive like? you can drive to New York quicker than you could drive to the school that I went to. Yeah. Yeah. So that just tells you how big uh Michigan really is and mm-hmm. how far the UP is um from uh the lower peninsula so yeah mm-hmm. it was it was quite cold um it was a decision i made because you know i had no reference point mm-hmm. like i said i'm the first generation high school and college graduate mm-hmm. so um while my mother worked um and got her GED afterwards and then got her associates from Wayne County Community College That's what's up. afterwards 
Um, I had no reference point in my my family uh, for what it was like to go to college. So I just like I figured it out, and thankfully I was exposed to different people, and that's and that's the whole thing. It's the exposure. Mm-hmm. Now my choir director, we wasn't hanging out, and she wasn't coming to take me to lunch and have sit down conversations, you know. But I was, you know, at 11 years old, I don't I know you're probably too young to remember the late Donald Vell, uh it was a gospel choir, Donald Vell and the Corleers. Hmm. Um I was able to get in the choir of Greater Grace, the adult choir, hmm. uh years younger than how, how often did that happen? Probably very rare. Okay. Very rare. And so um because Donald Vell's who was, you know, a, a re- made a recording artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how he heard me sing, but he did. And mm-hmm. so he allowed me to be in the choir and to lead a song. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was eleven, but I think I was supposed to be sixteen to be in mm-hmm. the choir. Mm-hmm. So but that's deep. Yeah, it so, is. so those things those mm-hmm. things meant something. Like, oh that's Sherry that's back then that's Sherry Gay. She in the grown people choir. <laughs> <laughs> she a kid but she in the grown people choir. You just with a juicy juice, and everybody right. else like, all right, let's go to, let's go to song number three. Right. My grandma did the uh, choir rehearsals oh, here. Did she? Okay. With the, with the stand up organ, I remember we just be kids in the corner, and what that would be like them going over. Choir. If all you ever get a stuff. chance to sit in on a choir rehearsal, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, especially with old black folks, lots of dynamics. It's a lot of, it's a lot of sayings you gonna pick up on. Uh-huh. <laughs> just all types of culture. Back to the top. That key ain't right. Who was that over there? That is not alto. <laughs> like one day somebody's gonna do like a show. Yeah, like how they have Abbott Elementary, right, exactly, or like a black choir. Yeah, it will be so many hilarious. It'll be yeah. so many characters that you can create just yeah. through yeah. that. Well, Detroit has had some phenomenal choir directors, and so I think we got a glimpse of what that looked like on the Clark Sisters movie mm-hmm. uh, with Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. Yes, uh, but uh, you know. Michael Mendigal, Michael Fletcher. Mm. Uh, there are a number of choir directors. At one point, Byron Cage, I don't know if you remember Byron Cage, gospel singer. Uh, he was a choir director. There are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of uh, choir directors that came out of Detroit that were just they. And in reality, complete, like, so when we think of the way that Detroit music has impacted the world, yes. it starts that black creativity was always founded in the church so like Mm -hmm. when we think of everything with Motown to Mm -hmm. even like RJ's latest arrival like these musicians aren't musicians that are getting their chops and learning you know just independently you know in the garage black folks we ain't no garage band culture we a church culture yeah so the music flows from there and then can become secular yeah and Definitely way more of a discussion around like Ray Charles times mm-hmm. and stuff like that because some of the music is is straight derivatives and, and strands and plays and uh, interpretations from gospel music. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It, it's so it's almost like it's incepted of you're hearing this bass line, but you've heard this bass line before. Right. You're a little bit familiar. You know, in hip hop, we call that sampling. But mm-hmm. a lot of that sampling been going on with secular music for a long time. For a very time, long time. You yeah. know? So from there, teaching. You you connect with teaching. How did you, um, how you know, learning to teach versus being in that classroom? What was the connection? What what was your passion with that? 
So, you know, so the good thing is I do think one of the things I do remember about Oak Park, and I, I think this is necessary everywhere, um, even back then we took an assessment of like what our natural um, career uh, path should look like. You know, mm. what, 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 when you take this, uh, these assessments, what, what is your profile? What does it say? Mm. Um, and so mine was lawyer, judge, preacher, mm -hmm. <laughs> teacher. Uh, so teaching, you know, again, I had the, 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 the path that I saw that my choir director, you know, was a math teacher. I wanted to be a math teacher. I figured, you know, um, after going to SUMI for a while, ultimately I left there. I moved to New York. I stayed there for like five and a half years. Mm -hmm. I worked, you know, in Midtown and enjoyed myself, really enjoyed myself, and ultimately came back home um, mm -hmm. in the early 90s. Okay. And uh, went back and got my associates, you know, and, and then started working on my bachelor's. And, and I was on a path for math, and calculus was challenging. Um, I would always get it after the test, you know, mm. uh, math problems that were about three to four pages long. But that, that's a whole nother story. Oh, yeah. uh, but ultimately, I had this natural affinity towards science and I didn't even realize it. Hmm. And so when I sat down with a counselor at uh, Wayne State and they're like, well, you're on the math program, but you have almost one and a half or double the amount of science classes that you're taking. You know, hmm. like, so why are you taking all these science classes? And I just like science. I, hmm. I love the earth. I love our environment. I love their interaction of how life, ev you know, using the word evolve, uh, evolves and how it interacts and how mm. just just life. Like all uh, forms of science, like chemistry, biology, physiology. I love. I love so I love. you're like one of those people that like if if you walk out the room. Then the TV ends up on like <laughs> like some weird documentary about the cells and the photosynthesis here. You're one of those people. Well, yes and no, but okay. I do find it intriguing. Mm -hmm. I find it intriguing because it helps to understand life. And then being a person of faith, mm -hmm. I marry the two together. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand why like, God is amazing. Like, you know, I do one of these speeches on, on graduation time that talks about the rock cycle. You know, how mm -hmm. basically all of life's elements... Earth's elements are in this heat, hot uh, magma in the core of the earth and how as it all comes forth. And if you understand the, the rock cycle, you know, you got the igneous, you got the sedimentary, you got the magma and all this over I'm, time. I'm saying for sure. Right. Lord knows I haven't heard any of this stuff in a long time. <laughs> so, but, but just think about it, though. When you think about how amazing it is, because just think about it. I mean, looking at this, 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 uh, the sound soundproof in, in this room kind of reminds me of magma. So you got this mm -hmm. hot, heated magma where mm -hmm. all the elements exist and the rock spews forward, it comes out, it cools down, and ultimately you go through life's pressure. You know, whether it's traveling through the, the grounds, mm -hmm. whether it's the heat, whether it's the pressure, what makes the most beautiful stones mm -hmm. is heat and pressure. Yeah. And so that's what life is. It's like you're going to be on a path in life that's going to help shave off the rough edges. You're going to go through some pressure in life that helps to beautify and smooth you out. And you're going to have some heat, which helps to make the color all the more that brilliant. Mm -hmm. And so, but at the end of the day, everything that was there in that core, in that heat, in the earth, we mm -hmm. all come from basically from that place. Mm -hmm. You know, life, our, our, the elements of our life come from that place. And so if you don't want to go through no heat, 
if you don't want to go through no pressure and if you don't want to be on no journey, you might not turn out as brilliant as a garnet, as a, as a, as a topaz or as a diamond. Mm. But if you're willing to go through it, on the other end of that is beauty, is a smooth life, is, you know, so, so those kind of things just like gets me excited because it's just the universe was placed here. God created us. And we have this amazing opportunity that exists, you know, within the confines of our universe. Uh, and it just relates to life to me. So it, it just it, it's inspiring. I don't watch documentaries and stuff all the time, mm -hmm. um, but it but it helps me to understand just how amazing uh, uh, our creator is and it, how amazing we are, you know, being his creation. And sometimes I think we forget that just how amazing, you know, we are that God created us and allowed us to be with an individual journey that allows us to be great. Yeah, nature, nature around us and the questions about it, because obviously, like everything, just due to my passion right now, media, information, I sometimes will say all this stuff can be propaganda. A lot like of The way it's unpacked yeah. uh -huh. um, has definitely changed like the viewpoint. I think the the I was one of those kids that loved science projects and uh -huh. stuff too. Uh, when I was a kid, and just the whole concept of like science provides the the advantage of being able to question everything, yeah, and 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 continue to question, yeah, as new information presents itself, yeah. So you know, yes, this was true yesterday, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but tomorrow, as we gather new information, we can expand upon one hundred percent, which is is fruitful for for even us as people. Uh -huh. I think like. We're, you know, the way we engage with life is almost like a, a science project. It's like because mm -hmm. we have a, you know, our purpose, the hypothesis. Then what is it? Purpose, hypothesis, procedure, materials, results, conclusion. But you got to, but you got to factor in the variables, and that's mm -hmm. the part where a lot of of my students, uh, that's that part for some reason is always skipped over, and it's like there's variations. That's why there's exceptions to every rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's why there's no absolutes. No. And so if the variable changes, the outcome changes, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, we're testing, we're testing our hypothesis every day. When I sat in this chair, in my mind, I've, I've made the assumption that this chair is able to hold me. Mm -hmm. There might be an instance or two in which you might sit in a chair and it doesn't hold you. Mm -hmm. But ultimately over time, we're testing our hypothesis every day when we start our car. That catalytic converter is going to punch. It's going to hit. That engine going to flow. That gas going to circulate. You know, so we're making judgments and assessments every day through, like, mm -hmm. the relationships we have with people, how we interact with them, things that you can say that's positive, things that you can say that's negative. You can take a relation to the top or you can take it to the gutter. You know, so it's just mm -hmm. a matter of how we, you know, how we interact with our universe, whether it's living beings, humans, our pets. Mm -hmm. Food. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the unique thing about science. Like, because it is, it's my my world, my people in marketing and stuff like that, because that's my path in school and stuff. Like, because we're looking to package things as they are absolute. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a better sales pitch to say, hey, this will solve things. This will do this. This will do that. This will, you know, you know, if you're hungry, this is the best meal for you. When to really dive deep into a scientific method, it's like, well, I can't really evaluate how good this is based on unless I have the other options to, to you know, make an assessment. Like, like so it's, it's certain things that um, 
that if if armed with that mind of, of questioning, because I was one of those kids, and obviously I think most people involved in science are definitely that. Exploration. You can continue to question. Yeah. And as you question, and, it, and it's a healthy method of questioning, mm-hmm. It'll only arm more understanding for, like you say, all oh, 100%. the hundred percent. And you want kids. See, a lot of kids, a lot of adults get tired of kids saying, "Well, why? Well, why? Well, why?" Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, I guess if we're not willing to say, "Well, you know what? I don't know," but we can find out together. <laughs> you know, some they be like, "Well, stop asking me all them questions." Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, but but it's at, at at a certain age, we're trying to make meaning of our world, and exploration requires questioning. Mm. You know, and so there's nothing wrong with the question. But I think there are some things that over time, you can like you know. So I'm in a process of of working out. I'm in a process of losing weight. I would say in the last three months, I've lost about 28, 30 pounds. It goes back wow. and forth. Okay. But there's no disputing if I burn more calories than I eat, I'm going to ultimately lose weight. Now, there mm. there are some situations where there might be exceptions to that rule. I could have health challenges. I could have mm. thyroid challenges. I could have, you know, heart problems or, you know, water weight. You mm. name it, you know, or I could be pregnant, you know. So so, so there, are, there are some exceptions. But as, as a general basis, this is the trend that you see. So yeah. I think that there are certain assumptions can be made based on data over time that this is the usual. Yes. Outcome, and, and, but and then this is the thing: as we pry deep, it's unique. You bring that up, like as we pry deeper into science, what you you start under like you have like constants and variables. There I mean, the money too. So it's mm-hmm. like fixed versus variable. Exactly. Expense. Uh, so it's like a constant. Certain things moved into being constant, and then other things. So like when anything dealing with people's bodies is on, uh-huh. you know, right. growing, you know, because you know. Uh, me and you could eat the same meal, um, do the same exercise the same way, right. but just due to our makeup. There you go. And, and that makeup may have began when we were an in, embryo. You know what I'm saying? It's no, or, bef- or before. I didn't even family. say, oh, man. It's so, or you, before. You just, before right, it's or in before. our DNA. Yeah, right. It's deeper than that. Right. It's, like, <laughs> right. it's like our genetic makeup. I mean, I mean. I'm. I have a different father than my three siblings, so none of them have the weight struggle that mm-hmm. I had. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm my grand I'm my father's I'm I'm my paternal grandmother's mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. when it comes to my physicality and then I'm my maternal grandmother's color. Mm. Out of the out of my mother, my father, and my yeah. siblings are all brown mm-hmm. and then I come out to be a little caramel like, "Well, whose baby's mm-hmm. that?" Mm-hmm. You know, so, so my 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 grand my mother's mother you uh, know visibly you know was my skin complexion mm-hmm. came out to be like my grandmother mm-hmm. so you know it, it it's even things like that See? like and I know right now science is digging more into DNA as unique um it was a time my grandfather I spoke of like. A lot of people, um, especially soldiers, struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And it was somebody that said, you know, alcoholism can live in a family for like yes. three generations yeah. in mm-hmm. the DNA. I'm like, seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, that's real? And they yeah, were like, yeah, is. that's it real. Is real. And mm-hmm. then when I met some um, I met some people that were explaining more about that, and I was like, this is deep, that something can change. Like our DNA, as much as 
Like that even continues to carry on and carry on and carry on and mm-hmm. carry on. So it's no telling what we're ingesting, how that's going to impact. And and I'm sure over time we'll have more answers yes. answered. Over but then time. obviously as you answer more, that means more questions exist, you know, because now it's like, oh, we figured this out. But now we have to figure out all of this. Right. You know, it's right. uh, some of the uh, I was I was talking to someone that works with um Lord knows, I didn't expect, like I said, Detroit is different. We drive in a conversation. <laughs> they were talking about vision as uh-huh. my, my grandmother that's 92, and at 92, our vision isn't as strong. But it was someone saying, like, well, depending upon what's impacting the vision, now things can are imp- possibly improving vision. Where it for so long, it was just a constant that, like, look. You can't see, it, you can't see, right. That was yes. <laughs> Get some glasses. That was what doctors hope it work out for you. Then after a while, it's like charge it to the game. You you out the game with it. But now they're saying it's a lot of advancement taking place in vision science through a lot of different things that are being explored. Mm-hmm. And and now it's just like wow, this is interesting yeah. about you know like some of the things and possibilities that can come about through like some of the 3D technology just a lot of different mm-hmm. things now yes you know yes and, yep. j- and possibilities so and laser surgeries and 3D and you know our our our, our eyes are like lens and you know they found they have found a way to you know help to refract and bend the lens you know in certain mm-hmm. different ways um with laser surgery, and so you know, there's improvement um, in vision. So, I mean, over time, we'll, we're constantly solving for X in our universe, it, which is great. And, and we we like on short time now, but it, I, I definitely got to dive into this with somebody that pounds the pavement so much. And in asking this question, as uh, Nas said it in the song, um, I forget what song that is. I, I want to say "Hate Me Now," but it's an old st- adage. Uh, but I believe in it. It's you know, people fear what they don't understand. Yeah, and hate what they can't conquer. Yeah. So it's so it's a lot of fear because I remember when LASIK, maybe about fifteen years ago, uh-huh. first came out, and then you heard it's like you uh-huh. gonna let them put lasers in your eyes. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like you gonna be blind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which I'm sure is is more advanced now than what right. we originally did. Right. But just misunderstand. Like I didn't understand. Well, I mean, it was new. It, it, it was new. I mean, we just came through a pandemic. It was new. Mm-hmm. It was inform- so much information. You're hearing misinformation every day, all day. Mm-hmm. People are dying. I mean, it's there. You know, you're trying to understand. So yes, there was a lot of fear and hysteria that exists. You know, from I mean, heart surgery is different now. You got people getting heart surgery and getting sent home in a day or two. I mean, you got a lot that's going on that. That's that's changed. So I mean, I was for I went to my doctor, a black man, get a doctor, and I was like, all right, do I got to do this prostate thing? I mean, I don't necessarily want to comfortable. He was like, oh man, we can test through the blood now. I was like, oh, right. that's interesting. <laughs> like right. nobody ever told me this. You right. know what I'm saying? So so things like that, but also th- these same fears exist in community, mm-hmm. and you've been at the forefront of many fights of justice for people in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes think that some of it is just a lot of misunderstandings from fear. And sadly, it's certain, uh, it's certain people in positions playing on these fears. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, being that you are so involved, um, how, how, 
how how do you advocate for a lot of people that you know do have a lot of misunderstandings uh uh ignorance of certain things because a lot of this information is suppressed and silenced but they know that this ain't right it's a lot of people that know i should have a higher quality of life i don't know all of the particulars of what when and how but mm -hmm. things are messed up like how are you advocating for those people? Because sometimes it's tough for them to advocate for themselves because yeah. they don't understand. What's yeah. Happening. So and 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 I'll take it a step further. Sometimes it's tough for them to advocate for themselves, and sometimes to advocate for people who don't even appreciate your advocacy because they don't realize the why. You know, and I, like I said, we're always sol solving for why. So so um, it's something I'm I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. It's it's something I'm definitely called to do. It's when I wake up, um, when I take on my day, I, I work for Teen Wellness Center. It's been a godsend after leaving the legislature uh, because in many instances, I'm still expected to operate like a legislator. I don't go to Lansing, but people call me to share their concerns, their complaints, uh, whether it's the issues that they have with auto insurance, whether it's issues they have with their home, whether it's issues uh, that family members have that have family that are in jail. You know, I got an email earlier today, you know, requesting me to come to Chippewa Correctional Facility four mm -hmm. hours away. You know, the Lifers, the American Lifers Association has requested my presence. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, and so they want me to come and talk about, you know, second chance laws and talk about the legislative process. Well, I'm not in the legislature, but because I was such an active legislator and because I have policies that were passed that does impact, unfortunately, a lot of African-Americans that are disproportionately, you know, incarcerated. You know, people want to hear from you uh, and hear what, you know, what the opportunities are, not only for them, but for others. Um, and then how can they, because they're not just sitting there resting on their laurels, Many of them are working on policy even while incarcerated uh, and things that they want to see change. And, and those are the best people uh, sometimes to weigh in because they live it every day. Mm -hmm. So so but it's it's this is a calling. This is this is not just something I decide, you know, I want to be elected one day. Um, I think that God places us all on a path. We interact with different people who pour into our life or impact our, our lives some type of way. And then we kind of. Um, I won't say idolize, but kind of envision or see a part of ourselves in something that they do, you know. And so I worked for the late Councilman Clyde Cleveland, uh, who was the ultimate public servant and city council for years. He worked for the city for more than 27 years. I worked for Alberta Tinsley Talabi, uh, who I then got a chance to serve with in the legislature. Um, and so uh, on the east side of Detroit, always fighting against um, substance abuse and uh, as a licensed social worker fighting for those who continue to be embattled by poverty. And so these are things that I subscribe to where, where a natural, um, one of the first papers I wrote in middle school was, was about uh, uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson and Shirley Chisholm. So these are things that just naturally, I know nobody just like poured it into me. You know, like I would write stuff when I was young and then go show it to my mother and their friends. They'd be like, you wrote this? I'm like, yeah, I wrote that. You know, like, I this is what I believe. And so those things I believe were deposited in me to do work that is a form of ministry, but outside of a church walls. Mm -hmm. And so fighting for justice, 
um, fighting for equality. My father was in prison. You know, my father um, spent a lot of, of my formative years in prison. And so being raised in a single home, you know, who would think a girl from Burlingame and Dexter, Clements, father locked up in jail, you know, raised with her mom, would ultimately go to the legislature and pass legislation that would give people a second chance in life mm-hmm. that have been to prison. And so it's like God has an amazing sense of humor uh, on how he uh, does things, and he's very strategic. But the the empathy that I have in my heart of what it felt like to look out of a window and wish that my dad could be there uh, when my friend Nancy down the street's dad was, you know, a professional and at home with another brother and they owned a dog, you mm. know, or my friend out in Oak Park who became my best friend when I went there and knowing for her sweet 16th birthday, she got a quarter carrot diamond ring and she mm. ended up getting a car, you know, but but I, my life was not so smooth, you know, and but I always had hope, not just for me, but hope for other people. And so it's it's like a burden that that um is placed in my heart for to remove the savage inequalities that exist. And the only way to do that, you know, or one of the key ways to do that is to equalize uh great education resources for all children. And so that's why I fight so hard um for our children and I fought so hard against the dismantling um, of DPS, DPS, and then having the the, the EAA and then the, the charter explosion and mm-hmm. so on. These things take away from the quality um, uh, schools that children should have access to. And then looking at ongoing poverty, looking at the fact that in the city of Detroit, where we have 80% African Americans, but less than 16% of black ownership or procurement uh, getting the contracts so like black people can't sell paper, we can't sell toilet paper, we can't sell nails, we can't sell wood. What can we sell? Can we sell anything? Can we sell services? Looking at a state in which we're fourteen percent, but we have less less than six percent of procurement and contracts. It's like at what point we can't do roads, we can't patch holes. What what you know? What can we do? And so it's not a it's not a it's not that we can't do it. It's that there have been systemic barriers put in the place, put in place so we can't have access to the bonding capacity, uh, uh, to the resources uh, for insurance, to to actually even getting the contracts approved for us to have that million-dollar deal that would allow us to build the queue line or to build the bridge or to build whatever. But with all of the money that is coming here now, I'm hopeful that people pay more attention uh, because there is a minority component. And so when we talk about reparations and what does that mean, mm-hmm. reparations for me, especially with the ESSER dollars and the COVID dollars that have come for infrastructure, build back better, build back better with black. That's what we need to add on mm-hmm. uh, because that's what's missing. And so when you look at education, when you look at uh, the, the the issue of economics, when you understand you know, that critical race theory is not a subject in school, but it, it is talking about the systemic barriers over time that has impeded black people who helped to build this country, uh, who are due uh, more than, you know, any other race uh, 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 is has ever been owed by the fact that we built this country on our backs. 
you know, the cotton industry, the, the infrastructure industry, you name it, black people had a hand in doing it, but yet we are still very much oppressed. And so it's, it's disheartening for those who have figured out a way to uh, navigate the system, who've ingratiated themselves to those in leadership, and that would still leave your average uh, black man, black woman behind, you know, and so it's incumbent upon all of us uh, to not do this work selfishly, but to do it with a mindset of we deserve our fair share, you know, and, and I will never relent on that. And sometimes that places you in a box where people don't want to deal with you mm -hmm. because you're calling it out, but it's not for me, it's for us. You know, I feel like I don't have to know the black man who is doing snow plowing in the city of Detroit. I don't have to know the black man that is doing demolition in the city of Detroit. But damn it, we better have some because that to me helps to change the dynamic of who we are um, as African-Americans um, in the city. We we had many more uh, black businesses, um, you know, in, in the 60s uh 70s you know and where we are now you know our contracting and procurement power is like abysmal um and we should be ashamed as much as the democratic party places a burden on us to help get out the vote once they get control we get left out the vote and, and that is unique that you bring that up and, and i'm gonna have to definitely bring you back because we got to expand on so many of those points that you just you, you just had the nice sherry for a whole so, hour <laughs> you dropped so many gems but you know i was gonna get the, i don't but but i like that we we gave that introduction because i'm so used to you delivering it to the people like that uh -huh. but now it's cool because we got out the the backstory now so <laughs> next time you come back we can get right to the to the grid of it all because um you spoke to even like a Clyde Cleveland, Alberta, like some of the functionality of certain things here, even in this city, as we talk about Detroit, you know, Detroit is different. Like there are some, there are some realities that just even at my age of 40 that I saw in 1980s Detroit and from interviewing people I know of 1970s Detroit. Mm -hmm. But that was really set up from a premise of like 1940s and 50s Detroit. So like the relationship that built the honor the honorable Coleman Young right. came out of a, a collection of like, you know, when I talk to uh rest in peace, my godmother like Orthea Barnes or my other godmother. That was their godmother? Joanne Watson. Oh, wow. or, like and when they tell now stories. Share, now we share Orthea and 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 uh, we share I, her. I, 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 we, I was going to talk to you that after that because I was like, <laughs> now nah, it makes sense where I was like, okay, at the service. I'm like, that makes perfect sense now that I know more of your story. Okay. Um, And uh, the way they would even talk about, you know, Irma Henderson bringing Paul Robeson mm -hmm. to, uh, so, so like, so, so certain things, and I'm definitely very, very, bias or whatever, but in support of this Detroit Black History. Uh, Jamon speaks to this. I think oh, I yes. speak to it mm -hmm. in a communication standpoint, but it would be things like Paul Robeson coming here through Irma Henderson mm -hmm. organizing with people like a Coleman Young and different people mm -hmm. in and around uh, what would happen in Black Bottom and even over and beyond in those pockets of Detroit East Side, those Miller High graduates that would bring right. people like him mm -hmm. here. Um, Conrad Mallet Sr. And, and people like this. Mm -hmm. um, they would bring 
people like that to speak and connect and use those social capital events to know how to gather and organize around other things. So now that continues on. Then you have Milton Henry connecting with the Martin Luther Kings, the the Malcolm X's and, and others. And, and even, you know, the other day, um, Reverend Sheffield speaking about the work, how his father was interacting and, and, and bringing in different, different resources for uh, uh, Dr. King and others. Like, it was a premise that was already building because the organization of Detroit. I mean, it's a reason why the Nation of Islam starts in Detroit, you know, because mm-hmm. Master Fah Muhammad was looking at other cities. Mm-hmm. But Detroit was a city that was such a power base for uh, Marcus Garvey and the UNIA outside mm-hmm. of New York. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the way that the Detroiters were organized, connecting to these systems. And this mm-hmm. was still a premise that I saw in the 80s. So when I look at today in the turnstile way that people outside of Detroit come into Detroit. And this is even some black folks or, or non-white folks, too. I just mean people that aren't from this soil come here in the turnstile way. When I hear some of the stories about the 70s and 80s where basically you didn't need to be vetted from like 10 different black folks before people would even be willing to sell you right. a sandwich. Right, 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 you know? right, right. And to think about the way that, you know, it's just unbridled access to some of yep. the some of the the, yep. the most precious yes. assets of Detroit mm-hmm. when you almost like even to buy furniture you were going through some black folks. You you needed to prop up somebody to walk in here to even get to even get a meeting with the person fifteenth the 15th tier person on the Coleman Young administrative chart. You better walk in here with a black person. Yeah. In a black business that we know is from Detroit that right. does business right. with other black right. businesses. Right, right. Like, yeah. so to know that that is within my lifetime span, to see how things operate now is, I, I don't even know the word that can describe it. Because it yeah. almost seems like it was some Wakanda stuff going on here at one point in time. At one point, yeah. And yeah. and it's not cracking like that no more. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely you know? not. Well, you know, and that's and that's the thing. We... we there, there's a remnant of us that I, I don't want us to just sensationalize what was, mm-hmm. but envision and make a core commitment to what can be, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think that that's important that that there are opportunities that could take us further, but we have to have a willingness and a sense of unity, and and not just elect people because we think we might like them. But what it what is their fight been for, for justice, for equality, for us to get our stuff back? <laughs> that yeah, and and, and then know? and and uh, it definitely we gonna revisit that. I, I like that you said that because now I already got a pitch for you because so much of it, like I say, it's not the likability. It's some very strong people that even walk with us, but just sometimes don't even understand the infrastructure of those positions. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like for I love basketball. It's like. Shaquille O'Neal was an excellent basketball player. But if you put him at point guard, you probably will not have the most effective basketball team. Right. You put him at his real position of center, now we can win. See, that's and that's the point. And that and I think I think I think and I, I don't know, I think this should be a round table discussion. You know, have we lost the ability to reharness the power we once knew? That 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 because we're gonna have to, 
be willing to call out some gatekeepers. And I don't mean beat them up. No. I don't mean, you know, just outright criticize. But we got to have some conversations with some folks to say, you're canceled. You're mm-hmm. canceled. Because on your watch, you've allowed 20 years. You've had a title. You've been in leadership. You've been in every, you've been in every room imaginable. And you've come out of the room empty-handed for us. Mm. You're canceled. At what point are we willing to do that, you know, in a unified way so that they don't speak for us? They can't go to the corporations and to continue speaking for us when they've come to us empty-handed. And I don't mean a payoff for one or two select people. I mean a contract procurement for a community of people. Mm -hmm. And they have not delivered. And it's too many of them that are in these key roles for too long that's supposed to represent equality and justice that have not delivered at mass scale for all of us. Most definitely. So we're going to close out with that (laughs) quick Detroit. I I love that. I'm definitely chopping that up. (laughs) uh, Agree. 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 You know, I wish I had a gavel to agree. (laughs) Um, So classic Detroit is different questions. Very first car. Your make and model. What year did you get it? Mm, I would say uh, 90, 91, maybe five years after high school, six years out of school. Um, I think it was a Dodge Colt. I think the first car I had was a Dodge Colt. Oh, man. They didn't. It, it, and you, and you pulled up to your family with all them Fords, people. <laughs> <laughs> they threw an egg at you. Like, yeah. what well, you I had a Dodge Colt. I didn't buy it. My mama bought it. it oh, even Colt. more reason. They was laughing at your mama. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so where was the first place you went when you got it? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a picture in my head. It wasn't the first place, but one of the places I went... I. Out of, out of town, because I'm looking at the car, mm. was to Cedar Point. I took all my nieces ah. and nephews to Cedar Point. Oh, that was sweet. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure that was a... I've done that before, too, with yeah. the little homies. It was, it was all a, loaded in. Yeah, it was a long, Cedar Point. It was a long, long Cedar Point day. With, <laughs> going to kids with Cedar Point. <laughs> kids can't see nothing without wanting to buy it. I want an elephant here. Right, exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, you're the DJ at the end of the fireworks. Woodward and Jefferson, you get to play three songs. What you playing? Um, Frankie Beverly, Beverly and Mays, um, You Make Me Happy. Mm, okay. Um, um, Rakim, I Can Make You Clap to This. I like it. All right. Uh, uh, Before I Let Go. Ah, so you a Frank? Okay, so so if, if if you see her at that Frankie show, don't 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 bother her. She gets in that zone, and, and this is how you know what I love about Frankie Beverly too. Uh, uh, like he's very few. He's he's a, extremely successful. I mean, Maze is an extremely accomplished band, but on a level of any band, Earth, Wind, and Fire, but. Their core audience is black. It's very few acts where, like, they're extremely successful where you go to the concert and it's nothing but black folks. Right. And black folks love Frankie to, I mean, to you know, he love. For life. Black folks, I mean, Frankie did a concert where he like, hey, everybody. <laughs> That's how, I mean, that is uh, so much love and support. Yeah, yeah To yeah. basically be like, we're going to sing this together. Baby, at I this can point. Su- we just go by the memory of the song. 
Yeah. At that point, and you just be like, just happy as could be. It's not many people, even mm-hmm. as much, and I know it's somebody like, no, he could have did that. <laughs> even at Michael Jackson's height, if you'd have bought a Michael Jackson ticket and he'd be like, y'all know this thriller, people would be like, oh, oh here we go. Yeah, because we want to hear him perform. Oh, here we go. Yeah, Mike yeah. did this. Right. <laughs> hey, throw him under the bus. <laughs> Last question. You can rename Woodward after one D trader. Who would it be and why? Oh, God. Woodward after one Detroiter. That's hard. Um, we already have Rosa Parks Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I would say Call Me Young. Mm. That the, that's the most often. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think? Well, I mean, I think inextricably the most. Popular, mm-hmm. passionate, mm-hmm. powerful, mm-hmm. prolific. Oh yeah, mayors have ever been. Wow, wow! Yeah. I like it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. All right, so we will be seeing more. I'm gonna be tapping. I'm gonna be like Sherry. I need you back. I need you back. I want. I got some ideas. I can't wait. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. And congratulations. Thank you. On launching this show and and actually uh, rebirthing uh, your grandparents' home. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.